introduction I've ever had in my life. I think best, best announcement video we've ever done at Coastal. Like everybody was paying attention, engaged. I tell you what, Abigail, man, one day she's gonna stand on stage and be a communicator. She is pretty phenomenal at what she does. But hey, she made some good points. We need you guys to come out and serve at our Christmas store coming up next weekend. We need as many people as we can get here because we're providing gifts, a Christmas store for over 500 kids. And that's gonna take a lot of volunteers so if you're free next Saturday, we'd love for you guys to sign up on our website, join us, help us make a difference for some families this Christmas and make a huge impact. Also, you know what, Christmas Eve, you guys all have these invite cards on your seat. This is such a great time to invite somebody to church. There are so many people that will say yes to an invitation at Christmas time that might not normally say yes to an invitation. And the cool thing is we're doing it at a park. They're not even going to church. You're just inviting them to a Christmas event. So you guys should totally invite your friends, your families, your neighbors, your coworkers. We have a 3.30 pre-party. We're going to have bounce houses and hot chocolate and even snow. You know, I, I can't say it like Abigail. She's way cuter than I am. So make sure you guys come and you invite a friend. You know, before we dive in today, I got one other thing that I just want to thank you guys for. Last weekend was our Legacy Weekend, where we took up our Legacy Offering, which helps the vision of Coastal go further faster. And you guys have been so incredibly generous, and we are so grateful for your generosity. And we've had many people call us and email and just ask, hey, can we still be a part of Legacy? And the answer is, you can always be part of Legacy. So anytime you want to give, you're more than welcome to do that. But over the rest of this month, we're going to be receiving donations for that. And then come January, we'll give you guys an update on where we're at with that legacy campaign. Before I jump in, if you guys have an extra seat next to you, we still got people coming in. Would you mind just squeeze in a little bit just to make room? If you don't want to sit next to the person, that's fine. I'm not going to force you. If you're a little antisocial here today, that's okay. But hey, so this weekend, I was supposed to start a Christmas series. They said, Shayla, we're going to be in a Christmas series over the next couple weeks, so do a Christmas message because it's like Christmas, and people are expecting a Christmas message. So I started off writing my message as a Christmas message, and it totally turned into a not Christmas message. And so I'm sorry about that, but I still think that you can relate to it. Because how many of you guys know going into the Christmas season or any Christmas season, be it that, we are facing some, some worry in life. Like I'm worried that I'm gonna see my in-laws. Like I'm worried, you know, that there's gonna be some conversations happening around the meal at our holiday meal time. And there's gonna be some conversations with people that have some different perspectives than I have. And I'm a little worried about what that's gonna look like around the table. Or maybe you're a little bit worried because you're facing a financial or a job struggle and this is the time of year where you want to be able to provide Christmas for your family, you want to be able to provide gifts for your family and you're worried that you're not going to be able to provide that for your family. There are all kinds of things that we're faced with in life that incite worry, right? We all face these things, none of us are exempt from those things. And I figure I would show you a couple things that automatically incite worry in my life. And the first one is this. Have you guys ever been to New York City and seen subway grates? This is like a dilemma to me. Because I am walking down the road and I see a subway grate and I'm like, oh my gosh. 
Oh my God, am I going to fall through it? Is there going to be a snake that comes out of it? Is somebody going to reach up and grab me? Like, and, and I am watching. There's all kinds of people around. How am I going to get around it so I don't step on it? And then last night, somebody heard my message, and then they told me this morning, hey, Sheila, my sister-in-law actually stepped on one and fell in it. I was like, oh, thank you so much for helping me with the worry that's present in my life. I, I greatly appreciate it. But then, so let me tell you about a little story. TJ and I um, started dating when we were 19 years old. And so it was a long time ago. And when, when we were dating, we, so we come from two totally different family backgrounds. I come from a family that had six kids. We didn't have a lot of money, so we had leftovers and hamburger helper for dinner pretty much every single night. Whereas all my big families, you can relate to that. Okay, so we, we, were, we were eating this type of stuff, and then you have TJ that comes from this very affluent upper middle class where they are eating things that are not hamburger helper. They're eating some, some other, some different things. And I remember the first time that he invited me over to meet his grandparents and his parents, and they live on, in this really nice condo on the Gulf of Mexico, like overlooking the Gulf of Mexico. And so automatically, I'm a little worried, will they like me? Will they accept me? Like, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a lot different than they are. And I remember getting there, and we get in this elevator to go up to their condo. And so we're in the elevator, and we're riding up, and it opens in their apartment. And I was like, where are we? I have never experienced this before in my life. They have their own elevator that goes right to their apartment? I remember walking in and seeing this sprawling view of the ocean, and I'm like, I am way out of my league. So then we sit down at the dinner table, and they have cloth napkins. <laughs> I'm like, oh, geez. So we get ready for dinner, and they begin to serve appetizers. And they put a plate in front of me, and there's something on there that I have no idea what it is. It was an artichoke. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, how do you even eat this? And so they sit it in front of me, and all of a sudden, there is panic, and there is worry, and I'm going, I, 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 really, I really don't know what to do right now. I had a pretty woman moment, you know, in the movie Pretty Woman, where they're, like, trying to tell her how to pick up the clam or the whatever snail or whatever it is, and it's like, slippery little sucker. And so... I'm sitting there and I'm looking at TJ and I'm looking at the artichoke and I'm looking at TJ and I'm looking at the artichoke and I think he can see like panic rising in my eyes and he just plucks one of the little leaves or whatever it is off of the artichoke. He sticks it in his mouth and he pulls it out and I was like, so I pick it up and I pull it out of my mouth. But there are those moments in life that when automatically worry begins to enter our life, right? There's situations, there's circumstances that automatically we are presented with worry. And I think a lot of times worry is actually, how many of you guys as a kid, you experienced the revolving door? And worry is kind of like this revolving door that like you get going fast enough and you just start going around and around and around and around and around and you get so dizzy that you try to, you miss the exit. And I think that's what happens in our lives. Worry is present. We go round and around the issue in our head. We go round and around the problem in our head and we lose all sense of perspective and clarity. 
And it's really hard in the midst of worry and being in that revolving door to clearly see what the exit is. Because we begin to get trapped in this revolving door of worry. Am I talking to the right crowd today? I think we can all identify these moments when we face worry. We're worrying about our health. We're worrying about our job. We're worrying about the money situation, the singleness, our kids. There are so many things that we're facing in our life that begin to, to cause us to get in this revolving door of worry that goes round and round and round. And what worry really does is it begins to control the narrative in our head. And it begins to keep us in this place where we're just circling the problem. We're circling the issue. And it's really difficult to find an exit. And I want to tell you guys, worry is a very real thing. We have very real issues. We have very real problems that we're facing. And it is a natural tendency to worry in those moments. But a lot of us, for a lot of us, worry is beginning to control our life, our thoughts, our relationships. And it's this revolving door that is present in our life. And here's what I've realized about worry. Worry is actually like a garment. Worry gets on you and it's something you carry into every conversation, into every relationship, into every situation. And when you're worried and this thing is going around and around and around, you don't even have to tell somebody your problem, but you can look at somebody and go, oh man, they're dealing with something. Because worry is something that we wear around like a garment. And it's a very real thing for every single one of us. And the Bible is going to tell us a story actually in 2 Kings chapter 4. There's a story I think that we could all relate to that could help us all in this journey that we're trying to get out of this revolving door of worry. And in 2 Kings, I'm going to give you kind of a little bit of a backstory. There's this prophet named Elisha, and he continues to go through this town called Shunem. And Elisha visits this place very consistently on a yearly basis. And as he's visiting this place, he begins to build relationships with people. So this man of God is coming to this town to give prophecies, to encourage people, to give them the word of God. And so as he's visiting this place of Shunem, he comes very consistently and he builds a relationship with this family. Now this family realizes, man, this guy comes here so often and he never has a place to sleep. He never has a hot meal. You know what? In our house, we don't have any children. We have plenty of space. Let's create a room for this guy so that when he comes through town, he has a great place that he can lay his head, a comfy bed, a safe place to be, and a warm meal in his stomach. And so every single time this man comes through town, he goes and stays in his room with this couple. And this happens consistently over and over again. And finally, this man of God, Elisha, he comes to the family and he says, hey, you've done so much for me. What is something that I can do for you? And this husband and wife begin to tell the prophet, you know, we've been barren and we've never been able to have children. We've desired this, but we've never been able to have a child. And so the prophet begins to prophesy over them and encourage them. And he says, when I come back a year from now, you will have conceived a child and given birth to a child. And it happens. She miraculously, by a miracle, begins to conceive a child. She gives birth to a child that is a miracle. It's never, ever happened for her before. But this prophet prophesies a miracle and it takes place in her life. 
And so this woman has this little boy, and this little boy grows up, and as he gets older, we don't know what age he is, but he's old enough to be able to go visit his father in a field where he's working. And the little boy goes into the field, and he meets up with his father, and he begins to tell his father, Dad, my head hurts. My head hurts. And the dad says, hey, I want you to go home to your mom. She'll take care of you. She'll give you what you need. Just go home and be with your mom. And so he goes home and he begins to sit with his mom and tell her what's going on. And as she's comforting the child, as she's caring for the child, he dies in her arms. This child that they had prayed for, this child that was a miracle, this child that was a miracle of God is now lying dead in her arms. And now if this is you or I in the story, I can imagine that this child that we've prayed for, if it's dead in our arms, we would be freaking out and there would be worry that is rising in our life. There would be panic that is elevating in our life. But this woman does something so interesting in this moment, and this is where we're going to pick up the story. So see, she has this boy and it's lying dead in her arms. And in verse 21, it says this, she carried him up, she laid him on the bed of the man of God, and she shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband and says, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. She wants to get to the place of the man that performed the miracle before. And her husband says, why go today, he asked. It's neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. Basically, he's saying, why are you going? There's no reason for you to go visit this man. But she says, it'll be all right. She doesn't even tell him what's going on. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. She's giving instruction. And as she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance and he said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run to meet her and ask her this. Is everything all right with you, your husband, and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. What, lady? Everything is not fine. Everything is not fine. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, so when she got to the the feet of the man that did the miracle before, she fell on the ground before, before him. She caught his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled. The Lord has not told me what it is. And then she said to the prophet, she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Basically, she's pouring her heart out to the man that had performed the miracle before. And the story continues on, and Elisha actually goes with this woman back to the house. And he goes up into the room where the dead child is laying. And he begins to pray over this child. And a miracle happens, and this child comes back to life. Now, what's so crazy about this story is as I think about it and as I read through it, so she picks up this child that's dead. She's holding in her arms. She picks him up and she lays him down on the bed and she shuts the door and then she begins to give instruction to the people around her. And she's so clear in this moment of getting, giving instructions. She said, go get me the donkey. And her servant says, what's wrong? And her husband says, what's wrong? And this is when she says, everything is fine. Everything's all right. And I think what this woman is doing in this moment is she's controlling the narrative because she realized if I tell you what I'm worried about, now you're going to worry. And if I tell my husband, then he's going to worry. And not one of us are going to fix it by getting in the revolving door of worry. 
And it beginning to go round and round and round. So she gets on the donkey and she tells her servant, don't slow down. And she goes right to the man of God who spoke the word of God, who prayed the miracle of God. So she goes to someone who can connect her to the answer to her situation. You guys, what I'm wondering is how many times in our own life are we faced with a circumstance, are we faced with a situation And what automatically happens is we begin to exaggerate worry. And worry begins to multiply in our life because every single interaction and conversation, that worry is overflowing in. And we're talking to this person and that person and this person and that person. And worry is beginning to swirl around in this revolving door. And we begin to spread the panic to everything and everyone around us. And here's what I've realized in life. What we think about, what we dwell on, what we talk about, is it begins to try to convince us that it's true. And the more we talk about it and the more we give voice to it, the more we believe that, that, man, this thing that I'm worried about is going to happen. You know, as I was studying, I came across this research study that Penn State University did, and they actually did a study on worry, and the results actually showed this. A whopping 91% of the worries that people had were actually false alarms. 91% of the things that we are worried about never happen. We get in this revolving door of worry in our head and it consumes our life. It went on to say this, the remaining 9% of worries that did come true, the outcome was better than expected about a third of the time. So even when the worry comes to fruition, it's not as bad as we thought it would be. But we've perpetuated this issue in our head for so long, and it's controlled us. And it was interesting. These researchers said that these findings underscore worry deceit. The author said the word deceit is a good word to use to describe the nature of worry, implicitly demanding that we pay attention to it because the threat is real, when in reality it is nearly always a false alarm. See, worry begins to try to control the narrative in our life, and it's leading to so much more dysfunction. See, I, I think because we haven't learned how to deal properly with the worry that's in our life, it's begun to perpetuate anxiety disorders and depression and all of these different things because we haven't learned how to take captive that worry and not enter into the revolving door. And it's sending so many of us to places that we can't control in our life. And I think that there's a few things in this story that we can walk away from and we can apply to our life on how to overcome worry. And the first one is this. You have to lay it down and you have to shut the door. She laid down the body and she shut the door. Now, I can imagine this woman said, listen, I don't know what's going on. This son that was a gift to me is now gone. This son that was a miracle in my life is now lying lifeless in my arm. But here's the thing. What this woman didn't do is run around with a dead body in her arms. She didn't run around and go, oh my gosh, my child is dead. My child is dead. In every conversation, in every interaction, in every person, she did not run around with the child in her arms. She laid him down and she shut the door. 
But you know what so many of us do when we're faced with worry? We carry it around. We go, oh my gosh, my job situation, my job situation. In every single circumstance, in every conversation, we're carrying around this worry and we're talking about it every chance that we get. Oh my gosh, my marriage, my finances, this wayward child, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? We're carrying this around and this woman, what she does is she goes, she lays it down, she shuts the door, and she goes to the place the answer lays. See, you can't carry these things around in your marriage. You can't carry it around in your job. You can't carry it around in your relationships. You have got to lay it down and shut the door. Because can I just tell you guys something? The answer does not lay in looking at what is dead. The answer lays in going to the place that can provide the solution. And here's the thing, you guys. I'm not saying that you deny what's going on in your life. I'm not saying you just walk around like everything's rosy and everything's great. But the only way to deal with worry and the things that enter our life is to go to the place where the answer lays. And she controlled herself. I think it's why she said, I'm fine. It's okay. I'm good. It's because she was controlling herself until she got to the place that could provide the solution. And there's no use spreading the panic and the worry around to everybody else because I need to get to the place that can provide an answer to what I'm walking through. You know, the Bible says this about worry in Philippians 4, 6. It says, don't worry about anything, anything. It says, don't worry about your job. Don't worry about that test. Don't worry about that result. Don't worry about those things. But then it says, but pray about everything. Basically, it's saying, lay that thing down and get to the place that can provide an answer to the problem. Can I just ask you something? I'm wondering how many of us talk about it more than we pray about it. You know, and I think we begin to talk about it in so many circumstances rather than taking it to the one that can provide a solution to what we're walking through. You know, this woman, she's telling everybody it's fine. And again, I wanna go back to, I'm not telling you to ignore the problem, but there's some of you guys that need to make the journey to the place where you can find your solution. For some of you guys, you need to get in counseling. For some of you guys, you need to talk with a trusted friend that can actually give you wise advice to help you out of that situation and not just talk about it with every single person that you come in contact with. See, everything is fine because you can't help provide the solution to my problem, but I'm getting to a place that can. You know, I think the reason that she laid that child down on that bed and she shut the door because she, she knew that all of these people can't provide the solution, but she was determined to get to the solution. And she knew if I allow the slightest crack in this door, if I keep going back in and I keep opening this door, then worry is going to come flooding in again. And there's some of us that need to close the door on some conversations because every single time we talk to that person, worry comes in our life. Every single time we begin to just do a crack in the door, worry comes flooding back in. You know, I know this all too well because many of you guys know TJ and I's story about not being able to have kids and going through our foster care journey. And I want to tell you a, a piece of that from, from my perspective is 
You know, TJ and I were, were never able to have children. We've been married 21 years, and it's just never, ever happened to us, for us. And so we decided we were going to be foster parents to be able to make a difference in the life of, of a child that was here that could use a good family. And so we became foster parents, and we welcomed a five-day-old baby boy into our home. So we're the first interaction that he had with, you know, any kind of parent or family or anything like that. So we welcome this baby when he's five days old, and we have him till he's 18 months old. Now, partway, that, let me just tell you, as soon as they place that little boy in my arms, I'm like, this kid is mine. Like my heart, it didn't matter that I didn't birth this kid, didn't matter any of those things. This was our child. And so halfway, actually halfway through the case, they ended up changing the goal of his case to adoption because the parents weren't getting things together in order to be able to, to reunite him. And so they changed the goal of the case to adoption. And even more so, my heart was invested. And then over the next couple months, Alexander's dad started getting his life together and started making progress in the case. And so they ended up now changing the case back to reunification. And my heart is like this yo-yo up and down and up and down, and I don't know where this is going. And when they begin to tell me that my son is going to be reunified with his biological father, my heart is just breaking, and worry begins to come into my life. And I'm worrying, is he going to be cared for? Is he going to have food to eat? What school is he going to go to? Is he going to be abused? Is he going to be loved? What's the circumstances are going to be? What is his situation going to be? I don't know who's going to be surrounding him. And all of this fear and worry and anxiety begin to flood my life. I remember in that moment realizing like, no, they're going to reunify this kid. I have got to figure out how to lay it down to shut the door. And to get to the place where that solution is. And so I'm praying and I'm just pouring my heart out to God and going, God, I don't know what to do. There's so much worry present. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. Is he going to be okay? Like I know in my house he's, he's fine and I can take care of him and I can control it, but I can't control it over here. And I remember so specifically, and I don't really hear the voice of God so specifically very often, but very specifically as I was praying, I heard this. Shayla, Alexander's purpose is not limited to your last name. And in that moment, I realized I have to begin to let this go. Like God still has a purpose for this child. He still has victory for this child's life. And if he wants to raise him up out of what he's walking into to make a difference, then God has a purpose in all of that. But you know, as I had had that answer and I was trying to, to close the door on that, there would be well-meaning people that would come up to me and say, Shayla, I know that God's going to give you that little boy back. I know that he is meant to be in your family. And do you know what? In those moments, I had to say, I'm sorry, I have to shut the door on this conversation. I'm sorry, I can't talk about that right now because if I open the door just to crack, there's going to be worry and all of these things that begin to flood back into my life. And there's some of you guys that there are conversations that you're having that you need to close the door on that conversation because it is not adding value, it's inciting worry into your life. So we've got to lay it down and we've got to shut the door. The verse continues on in Philippians and it says, tell God what you need. 
and then thank him for all that he's done. It's basically saying you need to lay him down. You need to begin to pray. You need to be able to tell God what you need in your moment of need. But then you need to thank him for what he's done. You need to begin to shift your perspective on how you see this. You have to remember that God is always faithful, that he always shows up, that you have survived 100% of your worst days and that you are still here and that your worries have not come to fruition, that you have got to begin to change the narrative that is going on in your head. You have to thank God for what he's already done, for being faithful, for delivering you, for giving you hope in the middle of your circumstances. We have to begin to change the narrative in our head. Which leads me to my next point. So you have to lay it down. You have to shut the door. And then number two, you have to fill in the gap. See, the gap between where you are now and the result you're looking for, it does not change when you fill that gap with worry. In fact, it becomes longer. It becomes more agonizing. It steals your sleep. It steals your joy. It steals your peace because we're worried about our kids, we're worried about the doctor's report that hasn't even come yet, we're worried about the exam that we have two months from now, we're worried about our next paycheck. There's a gap between what we're worried about and, the reality, and, and what the outcome is gonna be. And can I just give a little bit of a conjecture to the story because I believe that as this woman was on her way to the solution, on her way to the man of God that had performed a miracle once before, I think some of the reason why she kept saying, it's okay, I'm fine, don't worry, it's taken care of. The reason that she's saying those things is because I believe that on the way there, that she is filling the gap between where she is and the miracle that needs to happen in her life. And she's going, God, I thank you for this child that was a miracle when he was born and you can perform a miracle again. God, I thank you that you are faithful in every circumstance and every situation. God, I thank you that you are a healer, a provider, a redeemer. And God, I thank you for the result that you're gonna bring in my life because I have got to fill the gap between worry and the outcome. We have to begin to lay those things down and fill in the gap. You know, the, the verse in Philippians continues on and it says, now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, it says, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. We have to get focused in what we're thinking about. This doesn't say fix your thoughts on the problem that is there. Fix your thoughts on talking about it with every single person that comes by. It says fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We have to begin to fill the gap between what we're walking through and the solution that's there. And we have to begin to change the narrative that is in our head says keep putting keep putting into practice listen all of this stuff that we're talking about today is really simplistic but it is not easy it is not easy to continue to change the narrative in your head and to fill the gap with the right things and the true things and the things that are going to lead you to the solution of where you need to be but what is so interesting it says this Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. And then it skips down. It says, then the God of peace will be with you. 
You know, the peace that we so desperately want comes when we begin to think on the right things, when we begin to fill the gap between where we are and the solution and the outcome that we need. We have got to begin to change the narrative in our head. Which leads me to the final point. At the end of the day, we have to trust God with the outcome. You know, when Alexander was getting reunited with his biological father. I don't think I'll ever forget the day that that happened because here's this little boy that I've raised for 18 months, that we've raised for 18 months. We're the only family he's ever known, the only mom and dad he's ever known. And now I'm taking my eight-month-old child, or 18-month-old child, and I'm handing him over to someone that I don't know. Parents, you could imagine that in this room. Taking your 18-month-old and just handing them over to somebody. It was gut-wrenching. And even though I had made decisions in that process that I had to lay it down and I had to shut the door on some conversations and I had to begin to tell myself that there was good that was going to come out of this, that he had purpose, that he had a future, that God could use all of these things, there were still so many broken places in my heart. There were more things shattered in my life than I even knew I had. And I remember my husband being so broken that he was taking six, eight weeks of off of leading ministry or doing anything to the point where he was like, I don't even know if I can go back. I'm so broken. And while we had laid it down and shut the door and we were filling in the gap, we had to get to that place that was going to provide the solution. And I remember TJ and I deciding that we were going to go to some very intense counseling to help us get to a healthier place. And we went through three days of nonstop intense counseling. And I'll never forget this one moment in counseling. Our counselor looked at us and he said, I want to lead you through something called a visualizing prayer. I was like, okay, I've never heard of this before, but I'll roll with you. And he said, I want you guys to close your eyes. And he said, I want you to picture yourselves walking with Alexander hand in hand. Tell me what you're doing. And we were like, oh, we're looking at the trees, and he's pointing out the birds and the airplanes, and he's asking us, what's that? What's that, Mommy? So I could visualize us holding hands and walking down the road, and he said, now I want you to picture Jesus walking towards you. We're watching Jesus walk up towards us. And he said, now I want you guys to take Alexander's hands and I want you to place them in Jesus' hands. And as we did that, he said, now I want you to watch Alexander walking away in Jesus' hand. And through tear-filled eyes, I had this moment 
where with my eyes shut, I said, God, I don't trust his circumstances. I don't know if I trust his dad. I don't know him. I don't trust his surroundings. But I do trust you. In every single moment, from here on out, every time I'm faced with the worry of, man, what would his life look like? I just close my eyes, and I go back to that moment where I put him in Jesus' hands, and I say, Jesus, I trust you with him. And over and over again, close my eyes, and I say, Jesus, I trust you with him. And there's some of you guys in this room today. You've been carrying around that worry, the fear, the situation that is beyond your control. And I think it's time to lay it down, to shut the door, and to hand it to Jesus. And to go, God, I, I don't know the outcome. I don't trust my circumstances. I don't trust what's going on around me. But I choose to trust you today. And with every head bowed and every eye closed today, I'm sure that there's some of you in this room that you've never had a relationship with a God that you knew that you could trust so much with the outcome of your situation. And can I just tell you that there is a God that is present right here that has his hand stretched out. And he's saying, you can trust me with that. And if you're somebody that is in this room that you've never surrendered your life or your circumstances to Jesus, and that's something that you want to do today, I want to be able to pray for you today. So if that's you and you're saying, Shayla, I need to hand these things over. I need to hand over my life, my situation, my circumstances. And I choose to trust Jesus today. I would love to pray for you. So on the count of three, if you'll just lift your hand, I'm going to pray over you. One, two, three. Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yes. Eleven. Yes, I see you. Twelve. Yes, 13. Yes, 14, 15. Yes. 16, yes, I see you. Thank you. Anybody else? 17, yes, I see you. 18, I see you. If you guys will just repeat in your heart as I pray out loud. Jesus, I trust you today. God, today I am placing my life in your hand. I'm placing my future in your hand. I'm placing my circumstances in your hand. And God, I'm surrendering all of that, and I choose to lay everything else down. God, and I pray, Lord, that in my circumstances, in my situation, in my heart, in my worry, God, that you would be able to bring peace, as I begin to trust in a relationship with you. So God, today I choose to follow you. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be able to lay down those things 
that have got us in the revolving door of worry and that we can get to the place where our answer lays. And ultimately, God, that we can trust you with the outcome. And it's in Jesus' name that we all said, amen.